This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good afternoon. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Julia Jacobs. As we conclude the first month of the year, it's also time for a quick roundup of top environmental stories from the month that was January 2024. As always, I'm joined by the co-founders of environmental journalism portal Makaranga, Wong Siu Lin and Lau Yao Hua. Unfortunately, it's not all peachy on the environmental news front this month. Uh, first, we're going to discuss uh, some, we're going to give some updates actually from the shocking 2019 chemical toxic waste pollution that happened over in Sungai Kim Kim in Johor. Uh, there's some updates dates there. Then we're going to discuss how the Court of Appeal has dismissed the appeal of two NGOs to initiate judicial review proceedings in a bid to challenge the degazettment of the Bukit Charaka Forest Reserve. Then we head over to East Malaysia, over to Sarawak, where the state government will go ahead with the construction of three more hydroelectric dams, despite several objections and concerns. We're going to tackle all of that. Welcome both of you. Happy New Year. How are you? Happy New Year. Uh, happy New Year. Uh, very fast. January is gone. I One know. twelfth of the year. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. It's just like green string, you know, grains of sand through our fingers, right? Just going past. But okay, never mind. Lots to discuss this month, uh, as I said. So yes, let's talk about the first one. I think uh, it's been in the headlines quite a bit, uh, the Sungai Kim Kim lawsuit, right? So of course, you know, this was the really shocking incident that happened back in 2019. Uh, we've got some updates. Yulin, you just want to remind us about what the, you know, what the whole case was about, what happened? Absolutely. So uh, 42 plaintiffs who were impacted by that terrible toxic pollution in uh, along Sungai Kim Kim are suing 12 defendants, including the state government, including private entities who were responsible for the, uh, the, the, the pollution. They're suing them for 30 million ringgit. Uh, and this is a civil lawsuit. Uh, and just uh, just a very quick recap of actually what happened. So in March 2019, uh, you know there, there was air pollution, there was you know river, water pollution, and all the rest of it, and it affected um, you know, 2,000 people. Some say you know as many as 6,000 because it was like little you know villages who were Orang Asli villages and fishers as well who were, who were impacted, uh, and as well as uh, closed 111 schools in Pasir Gudang. Uh, about 1,000 people, about 950 people needed treatment, you know, hospital treatment. Nine of them were actually in intensive care. Yeah. So that's how severe the pollution was. Uh, of course, right now, the court case is going on. It's been delayed for five years, uh, but at least it's, it's ongoing now. And, uh, of, you know, in, in the headlines, unfortunately, are two young people who were badly affected by the pollution. Uh, a 16-year-old who continues to need crutches after being diagnosed with a very rare condition called, uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce this, myokinia. Yeah, it's causing tremors in, in the body. And the other person is a, a, an 11-year-old uh, child who is still undergoing follow-up treatment uh, because she's got respiratory problems. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so basically, what happened uh, after that? Uh, a lorry driver was found guilty, and he, in fact, pleaded guilty of dumping these toxic, basically scheduled waste, toxic chemicals into the river. Right. Yeah. And a company um, also, uh, you know, had had eight charges against it under the environmental quality uh, regulations, um, and it was fined forty thousand for each count, so times eight counts. Yeah. Uh, so what had has been done actually uh, immediately after that, you know, they, everybody is working around the clock, including the minister went down. You know, a very pregnant Yobi in actually went down to the um, the site as well, and they cleared out 900 tons of contaminated substances, 1,500 tons of polluted water, uh, and all this from a mere 1.5 kilometer stretch of water. That's crazy. 
Yeah. It's crazy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then, so what's happened is they decided to file this lawsuit uh, in 2019. 40 of them, they form a, a sort of action committee, uh, and so um, let's 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 see what happens huh? uh, as a result of this. I don't think we're allowed to sort of comment too much on that. However, I just wanted to point out uh, that action has been taken as a result of this uh, unfortunate incident, right? So they're looking at uh, increasing fines for river pollution now, right? Um, they've actually cleaned up Sungai Kim Kim. So like Johor has 14 rivers that are category five, which is the most polluted, virtually dead, right? Yeah. Uh, Sungai Kim Kim is now a category three. So it's okay. really, really been cleaned up, right? Uh, there've also been funds, uh, 6.4 million uh, ringgit were actually spent on cleaning up this uh, this 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 uh, you know stretch of uh, river, uh, however, unfortunately, it doesn't cover medical costs for victims, yeah, as mm-hmm. well as ongoing recovery efforts. Um, so uh, the Pase Gudang City Council uh, in 2022 they installed this system they call it a smart pole system in industrial community and river areas, yeah, to monitor um, uh, river pollution, yeah, yeah. and uh, this includes a closed circuit TV so they, they can see they can actually see the people who are actually dumping waste. So so there has been some good or some action that has that come out of this, but really we need to be looking at the long term effects of river pollution, which this court case is trying to highlight. Mm-hmm. And the long term uh, repercussions to individuals, right, like the sixteen year old, like the eleven year old, you know, uh, rare they've you know contracted a rare disease, isn't it? Not even found in Malaysia, you know, hardly any follow up in terms of medical treatment. So there's so much that's um yeah that's tied to this this lawsuit as well isn't it yeah yeah i also think like you know definitely part of the um problem was of course the monitoring of uh you know such laws we have the laws right and there's yeah. the monitoring to catch it uh when it has just happened um, not to say preventing okay but to when it has happened to to really catch it uh you know and nip it its butt and and then to uh enforce it and i i think like you know we always hear about you know how doe for example is severely understaffed you know and then they will always say oh you know we don't even have enough people to to to, to be in the field and stuff so i'm sure like you know they are they are Definitely easy ways now with with like you know just making like a, a a platform a public platform where people can you know just post right I I noticed that the 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 drain or the river next behind my house is it's for me or whatever I just took a picture I upload it to this public platform anyone can access it um and of course there need to be some verification but anyone can access it and then you all show up at like highlights on the map you know mm. um I think this is yeah. Whoever's listening to this, go please go make something like this. Um, we have data, and I think all could benefit from such a project here. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's as easy as uploading on social media, isn't it? Why can't we do it for official uh, things such as this? Okay, all right. Um, just moving on to our second story. This one, of course, very baffling, isn't it? Uh, the Bukit Chiraka degazettman. So, uh, you know, the latest in the news, of course, was that the Court of Appeal has dismissed the appeal that was uh, brought about by two NGOs to initiate judicial res- uh, review proceedings. Right? They wanted to challenge the degazettman of the Bukit Chiraka uh, of Bukit Chiraka as a forest reserve. Yeah, well, you want to give us a little bit of because it's quite convoluted, right? The history of this. You want to just kind of break it down for our listeners to remind them. Yeah, well, the history, I'm not going to go into the entire history. We don't have time to, to do this. Sure. But basically, this is, uh, you know, this is um, contention over the, as you said, the degazettment of Bukit Charaka Forest Reserve, which is in Selangor. You know, it's in urban Selangor. Mm-hmm. And uh, the two NGOs, which is uh, PERKA and uh, SACF, which is Shalang Community Forest, um, they are they have been protesting the government's proposal to build a road across this stretch of forest. Right. And uh, I think for the longest of time, the government have been saying, the Slango government has been saying that this piece, uh, this 400 hectares of uh, 
forest has is not forest reserve and thus the road can be built across it right um and then lo and behold i think it was a couple of years ago um that as you know as some people went through the gazettes and realized that hey actually this piece of land has not been uh, de-gazetted officially so it should still remain forest reserve and of course with forest reserve then a lot of like different regulations and protection come into place right and so then um when this was announced <laughs> everyone was actually caught by surprise i i think yeah. i thought and um and then the slango government in may 2022 published a gazette that excised uh this plot right but in the gazette they put an effective date for the de-gazettement as year 2000 november 2000 now of course state governments have the right the legal right to add and remove forest reserve uh, as they see fit but for them to do that the law requires them to publish that decision in a gazette and on the gazette notification they must write a date for that change to take effect so what the slango government did in uh, may 2022 was to publish the gazette and make the effective date in the year 2000 so basically the backdated and this word backdated was actually used by the slango forestry department uh, director they backdated this decision by 22 years more or less right that's right and and they said it was to complete the degazettement process that somehow stopped in year 2006 right so the ngos are challenging uh this decision this the gazettement decision saying that it is you know it is not valid because the decision was made 22 years ago and it's unlawful for the state government to backdate it uh, this was all reported by uh, Malaysia Kini yeah. and yeah and, and in this case this recent uh call of appeal decision they denied the, the appeal um and so i'm not sure what the ngos plan to do after this but one of the judgment by the the, the judges is is that the ngos should have filed their challenge to this decision within 3 months of the decision now recall that the decision was made in november year 2000 without a gazette notification so that means sometime in early 2001 if anybody wants to protest this decision they have to file it at that time but you know the question remains who would have known outside of the state exco that this was being done because mm-hmm. no gazette was published now in just to avoid being you know accused of contempt of court we are not going to go further but i'd just like to provide some data on the backdating practice backdating practice is actually relatively common in peninsular malaysia so makaranga we have gone through the gazettes that are available digitally between year 2002 and 2023 so up to last year we've gone through all this uh gazettes in which the state governments uh, announced the removal or addition of forest reserve and there's about 780 of them we have analyzed them all and we have found that you know of this 780 about 17% of the gazettes were backdated by more than 5 months which means according to this judgment you can you can you can file a judicial review anymore who were the states that did it most trenganu 92% of their gazettes were backdated by more than 5 months so almost definitely kelantan 70% melaka 64% kedah 56% some states never backdated which means that the gazette takes effect the day it was published 
like Johor, Pahang, and Perak. Selangor had an almost perfect record until Bukit Cheraka, which means, which suggests that, you know, this is not normal practice for them. Back dating is, it doesn't look like it's a normal practice for Selangor, except when it came to Bukit Cheraka. And I'll just leave it there. So a lot of this data that I just shared is in on Makaranga's story, uh, the multiverse story that was published in uh, early 2023. I think March, I think March 2023. You guys can go look it up, yeah. Also on Makaranga, read up if you want to know the history of Bukit Charaka. Uh, Dick Win Lim, who was uh, you know uh, sort of involved in the court case, is involved in the court case. I hope I hope there's further recourse. I uh, wrote wrote an interesting kind of history of it as well. So so go there to read his uh, remarks. Uh, <laughs> as well. Yeah, and uh, actually on BFM we've spoken to Techwin as well and Alicia and the folks, so that's um, everything is there. I'll pop some links into our podcast as well so that folks can have easy reference. Okay. Alright, so we'll keep an eye on that one for sure. Um, now we head over to Sarawak. There's been a lot of news, uh, you know, Sarawak seeking autonomy, uh, you know, wanting to be in charge of the environment and so many different things, but this new one, so uh, they want to build a whole bunch of dams, right? And um, the locals are not too happy about it, though of course the uh, Premier has been saying that they are quite, uh, they are the ones in support of it. Uh, you want to just tell us what's happening there? Sarawak government has been planning new dams to generate hydroelectricity for a while. Yeah. Uh, so, of course, you know, uh, Bakun, everybody knows Bakun, which is so controversial uh, some time ago. Uh, and, and now three new dams have been announced in like the same area where Bakun was built, which is Kapit. So that's one of the areas. Baram is another new area where they've announced a, a new hydroelectric dam. Yeah. Uh, and and the, the, the locals, local communities, activists have just sort of like defeated uh, a, a proposal of a new Baram dam, which is, you know, basically three-fifths the size of uh, Singapore. Uh, so they had defeated that in 2015 after years of protest. And that now a new dam is being proposed there. And then Balaga is the other area as well. So that's all kind of like central, you know, close to each other. But that's also where the, the, the mighty Rajang is, you know, so furious, fast and furious rivers and fantastic for generating hydroelectric power. And of course, the whole reason for this is the transition to clean energy renewable energy and uh, you know we've been writing about this and you know uh, Juliet thanks for having us on as well to talk about the the, you know, the power of dams and the impacts of it on local and especially indigenous communities right so basically what happened was yes um, you know the state government did say okay actually the dams are being built at the request of the local communities uh, however local communities as well as NGOs have come out and say please name who these local communities are that are asking for these dams and there have been protests in, in the world famous Mulu National Park as well yeah because it's kind of like in that area um, so um, basically there are going to be protests continuing against these dams. Now, the government response, they have claimed that um, basically we do need the electricity supply. We are transitioning to greener energy. Uh, you know, uh, however, the electricity generated doesn't go directly to these communities. I think it is that the electricity generated goes back to the grid, which means that it is um, sort of distributed throughout the state, maybe to Sabah and Sarawak has actually been exporting its energy to Kalimantan. So yeah. would this energy, the question is, would this energy that is being generated, which might or might not impact local communities, is that really, like, who who is actually going to benefit, benefit. from this extra generation of 
electricity? How much is Sarawak going to cut back on its use of fossil fuels? So all these questions are, are basically being, um, you know, discussed and therefore the protests because they want more um, transparency. Yeah. So the, uh, the other thing that the state government has said is these dams are smaller. And again, we have just looked at um, a, a case study in Para in Samananjong where the dam is smaller, right? However, as um, you know, activists have said, it's the way that you're doing it. It's not that locals are against renewable energy. It's not they are, that they are necessarily against dams, but it's like, how involved are they? Uh, again, has free prior informed uh, consent been asked of them? Um, and then the other questions I said, that one about uh, energy being exported, right? Now, uh, the other thing that Sarawak wants to do is to issue what they call renewable energy certificates to be traded on Malaysia's Voluntary Carbon Exchange, BCX, right? Uh, so basically, is money going to be made? Why, why is this being done? Again, the intentions are all good. It is to transition away to cleaner energy. Um, and and a, a, a renewable energy certificate is a type of energy um, certificate that's issued when, you know, it's based on how many megawatt hours of electricity produced uh, from renewable sources. It's used to track renewable electricity generation and consumption and it enables end users to claim reductions in carbon emissions. So that's the whole carbon trading thing, right? Um, the other thing that Sarawak has done, yes, it's been exporting electricity to Kalimantan, but it has also got a 25% equity in a Kalimantan through Indonesian dam, which is called the Mentarang Dam, right? It's got 25% stake in the holding company, and it's got um, aspirations towards contributing to the ASEAN Power Grid initiative as well. So we're looking at, you know, kind of like, transnational, transregional, transnational kind of ambitions for Sarawak, right? Um, so what could solutions be? You know, I think activists are suggesting, look at microhydro, microhydro that benefits the communities directly, look at really ethnic community participation, community involvement, um, you know, be transparent about all these plans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think also like, you know, based on um, uh, news reports, like there's no sort of, uh, the Premier didn't mention things like how large the areas would be, right? That it would be flooded by each dam. Uh, we don't know how much money will be spent and all of that. So there are some um, some major questions and there's also some refutations by um, some of the uh, community leaders, you know, by the affected areas. So yeah, we'll definitely uh, keep an eye on that. Um, okay, but for further reading, of course, you know, if you want to read about everything that we've just spoken about, do head to makaranga.org, all these, you know, related articles there. You can also search uh, for all of our previous podcasts on bfm.my slash earth. Yahua Siulin, thank you so much for joining me today. I was speaking to Wong Siulin and Lau Yahua, co-founders of Makaranga. This has been Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.